following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 8 and this can be found on page 691 of the church bibles page 691 in the year that king Isaiah died I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple above him were seraphim each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for then i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us and i said here i am send me the second reading is from luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 and this can be found on page 1032 in the Bibles, page 1032. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. 
for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, uh, my name's David. Uh, I think she's mentioned it three times already, but you never know with memories. Uh, and I worship here in St. Nick's. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that we may see something of the glory, the power, the holiness, and the love of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Things can have a symbolic power and a significance far beyond what they represent in money. You take the average wedding ring, which is often not all that expensive, but its symbolic meaning is enormous. You go to a school sports day and occasionally they will have a father's race or a mother's race. The, the father's race has nothing to do with middle-aged people running as fast as they can. The father's race is about the honour of your family. And I well remember seeing a colleague of mine playing at centre forward or striker, whatever, uh, for a, a team with his uh, six-year-old son watching and the ball happened to come to him in front of an open goal and my colleague kicked it wide. And after the match he said, all I could hear was my son saying, oh, Dad! Things are really about honour and glory. If you know the book uh, Gamesmanship, it's how to win at games uh, without actually cheating. Uh, and he talks about an uncle who perfected a kind of spitting blow which meant that he could beat his nephews every time at Christmas blow football. That is about, I am not old and useless. You see how things have a symbolic power before uh, much more than what they look like. So here in this story, uh, there's a boat. It's not worth a great deal and not a particularly big vessel, but its symbolic power is enormous. The boat represents Simon's symbol, uh, possessions. Listen to Simon. I don't own much, but the boat is mine. I made it. I've mended it. I decide when it goes out and when it comes in and when it's too stormy to go out. And I know every bit of that boat, the creak it makes as it catches the wind and, and carries you out into the middle of the lake. And how you need to lean a little to one side when you're bringing it in. It's my boat. 
Now, most of us will understand that sense of these are my possessions. Someone parks outside a house and the curtains twitch. Not gonna park there, is he? One says to another. Because that bit outside the house is yours. Actually, you don't own that bit of the road at all. But it's one of your possessions. I remember once uh, the kitchen floor fitter came with his mate and I left them to fit a new floor to the kitchen and heard him reading my notice board to his mate, which I thought was absolutely appalling. <laughs> this is my private home. An Englishman's home, as we've heard recently, is his castle. And the lawn is my moat, and the drive is my drawbridge, especially if you own a tractor. <laughs> Simon again. It felt just like that when Jesus came and was being virtually pushed into the lake by the crowds. He got into the boat, pretty much as if he owned it, and told me to push out a little way from the shore. Didn't ask my permission. I was washing the nets. And he sat down as cool as you like and taught as if it was a rabbi's classroom. My possessions taken over, commandeered by Jesus. That's the first bit. The boat represents Simon's possessions. The boat also represents Simon's expertise and skill. I've been a fisherman all my life. It's what I do and this lake is where I do it. And I've been pretty successful. Otherwise I wouldn't be here and the boat wouldn't be here either. My business would have folded years back I know this lake and its moods. I know the way of fish. I know about nets. The one I'm using now is made of linen. It's whitish, which means you can't use it in the day because the fish see it and are frightened. So we fish at night and we come in close. It's part of Simon's expertise and skill. We don't find it very easy when people demonstrate skill and expertise in an area that we have made our own. I went once out uh, in school where I was teaching and a few of us just wandered in the, in the break uh, round the football pitch. And there was one member of staff, an elderly member of staff, who played um, to hit the ball. I mean, played golf. And he used to go out and practice, and he would stand at the very end of the pitch, and he would hit the ball. And he wasn't bad, it went to the halfway line. And on this particular day, a younger member of staff, who'd only just joined the school, said, I've never really had a go with a proper club, can I have a go? And he said, yeah, go and have a go. And he got it, and crack. And he hit it 20 to 30 yards further than the elderly man had. And I remember that afternoon, the old man saying, I have spent half my life trying to hit that ball. And he just walks up and socks it out of sight. It's a terrible thing to happen 
when somebody walks all over your expertise. I don't know if you remember, it's old now, there's a bit in the film Amadeus, do you remember that film? Yeah, Story of Mozart. Uh, Antonio Salieri, who's in charge of the emperor's uh, music in Vienna, uh, makes a little welcome for Mozart, a little piece on the piano. And he writes this little march to celebrate Mozart coming to Vienna and plays it in front of the emperor and the court and Mozart. And Mozart, I don't think he even says thank you for writing this in my honor. I think he gets up and says, yes, yes, it's quite good. And starts to play the little march from memory. And then about three bars, four bars in, says, this is, this is not quite right, is it? It doesn't quite work, does it? Perhaps he could go like this. And then it's about four minutes of absolutely amazing stuff, which he's just making up as he goes along. And the camera comes on Salieri's face, which is in despair, and a few more feelings that he's got as well, which are not so good. One of them is, I'm going to kill this man. And he just catches the pain on his face. This is the very area where I am the expert. And this buffoon produces something infinitely better just off the top of his head. So it felt just like that when Jesus came and ordered me to push out into the deep after we'd fished all night and caught nothing. Every single thing he asked me to do that morning was a basic novice's error in the fishing game. And yet I did it because he asked me to do it. And I discovered that in the very area of my vast experience, my expertise and skill, the very thing I know everything about, he seemed to know more. We caught more fish that morning than we caught for weeks, months, years probably. The nets were breaking. The boats were sinking. This boat represents my expertise and my skill and Jesus has moved into that sacred area and acted as if it was his area of authority. Thirdly, the boat represents Simon's future security. Life is precarious in Palestine. Taxation is high, both the Jewish holy taxes and the Roman secular taxes on, on top. For honest, the future is unknown and worrying. We are an occupied country. There's a little workers' cooperative, though. We work together, there's me, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, Zebedee, doesn't do much these days, but he's part of the cooperative, and one or two others. And the boat is the future, its income, its savings for a rainy day, its identity, its value and status in the community. It's a sound future for my children, if I have any. It's a security for my wife and for myself. It's insurance. That's the boat. 
which makes it very threatening when Jesus walks in and tells me that he has mapped out for me another future which doesn't involve the boat. Don't be afraid, he says to me. What? Don't be afraid? I'm terrified. From now on, he says, you will catch men. You will catch people alive for the kingdom. This was not the future I had mapped out for myself. He has moved into my future and acted as if the future was in his hands. So there is a pattern here in this story. The call of Simon pictures Jesus laying claim to our possessions. My house, my relationships, my money, my investments, my collection of vinyl records. It also shows him laying claim on our expertise. I'm good at making money. I'm good at handling people. I'm good at being creative. I'm good at exercising power. I'm good at leadership. I could talk for England. And laying claim to our future security. So I thought I'd be a lawyer or a shopkeeper or a teacher, or a nurse, or a cook, or a social worker, a foreign language teacher. And suddenly God says, ooh, I have a different future planned out for you. And this can feel like an assault. The deal on the table is, will you let me have control over everything that represents you? That's terrifying. That is the call of God on our lives. The demands that God makes on us. Luke says elsewhere in his gospel, to be a disciple means handing over the control of your life to Jesus as Lord. I just wonder if sometimes the first excitement of meeting Jesus and giving over your life to him goes a little stale. Have you ever felt that? Perhaps you came to church this morning feeling that. There is a little giveaway incident in Mark's gospel when Simon says, trifle wistfully, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. It sounds as if he's experiencing such a moment of regret. And if you're feeling a little bit the same, what can this story teach us? Let's look at the passage again and try to make sense of what Simon does. However did he agree to follow Jesus? It was a wild proposal. Why did he respond by leaving everything and following the invitation of a wandering preacher? And you might be thinking, for that matter, why did I do that? Well, as we read the story, I think we see two big reasons, there may be more, why Peter got up from the boat and followed Jesus and why these might ring true for you. First, the reason, he encountered something awesome in Jesus. 
The fish did it, but he saw power beyond imagination, and behind that power, holiness and purity. Else otherwise, why would he have said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. There is nothing holy about fish in themselves. And he knelt, not because of the fish, but because he was suddenly realized he was in the presence of God. And people will walk a million miles for the presence of God once they've had a glimpse of his power, of his glory, and of his love. Don't be afraid, says Jesus. As the hymn says, leaving all for his dear sake. That's the first reason why what may seem silly wasn't when Simon experienced it. And the second reason why Simon agreed to follow Jesus is something so obvious that I think it's very easy for us to miss it. This is a Jesus who can produce a catch of fish with power beyond the ordinary, and yet still wants our help. He says, will you work with me? Can I borrow your boat? Can I rely on you to do what I ask? Will you join me in the work of the kingdom and catch people for the kingdom alive? It is astonishing and obviously hauntingly attractive for Peter. C.S. Lewis has a story about a time when he realized that he had been used by God. I won't tell you the incident, but at the end, he suddenly realized he had been used by God. And he ends, it awed me. It awes me still. I had been used by God. Awesome. God, who is all-powerful, who is holy and set apart from us, still wants us to work with him. The Almighty God would like to have our assistance. This is a God of grace, God of excitement. And that's the second reason why people respond to his call. The demand to give up control may look like harassment and divine grievous bodily harm. But Simon encountered the reality of God and witnessed his power and his holiness and heard his gracious word, don't be afraid. And he was overwhelmed by the call of God. I would really like you to be a partner in my kingdom. And that was all it took. That was enough. If this morning it's got a bit stale for you, then go back to that first moment when you met with Jesus. The moment when you caught a glimpse of his glory and his power and his love and caught the vision of the invitation to work with him, to work with Almighty God. Let's go back to Simon for the last time. There were times when I had second thoughts. I remember one when I reclaimed the boat and went fishing again. I said, me, I'm going fishing. And my friend said, we'll come with you. And Jesus gave me a little reminder. 
That wasn't the way that it was meant to be. And that morning we caught 153 fish. And I remembered that the Lord had laid claim on the boat and everything the boat stood for. And I rejoiced. So may we do the same. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.